this next two chapters are probably the most uh, pointed chapters that the Apostle Paul writes in all of the New Testament. And he does so, I believe, for a purpose and for a reason. I, I think probably more than anything else, something that trips up, seems like almost every believer at some point in time during their life, is the issue of substituting something for the Spirit of God and the grace of God so that we can make sure that we're doing the will of God and the work of God. We substitute something in that place of grace that comes to us by faith. And very often, it's religion. It's rules. It's things that on the outside maybe even look really spiritual. That that kind of seem like you would think, well, somebody who does that should be really close to the Lord. And before you know it, you end up simply worshiping a system. Or maybe you worship a building instead of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Or maybe you worship a type or a style of ministry instead of the Savior. Maybe instead of walking in the Spirit, you, like the Galatian church, begin to turn back to your set of laws. Maybe not the Jewish law, maybe not the feast day, but what in your life can you say, you know, I've really kind of substituted the work of the Spirit for this. Can I give you one that comes up very frequently in the lives of people who love the Lord Jesus? They substitute service for devotion. They're actually doing something for God, and thereby they think that they're walking in the Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul is now going to instruct us, and he begins chapter 3 with a word that seems strange to us. He says, what's bewitched you? Now, I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember the TV show with Darren and Sam and the uh, cat Um, But that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's talking about what has beguiled you. What has led you astray? What has caused you to no longer actually believe the truth, but rather believe something that's not the truth? What has bewitched you? What has beguiled you? And so I believe the Lord has a message for us as a church. And I I pray that you would open up your hearts to receive it. And maybe for many, you're just doing great. You're walking in the Spirit. Maybe for some of you, you've substituted some kind of work, some kind of religious activity for the place that the Spirit ought to have in your life so that you're walking by faith and really expressing that grace-filled living in this world. And if that's you, I pray that the Lord would just gently speak into our lives. Uh, the incredible purposes and plans that he has for us. Would you pray with me? And then we'll pick up in verse one of chapter three here in the book of Galatians. Father, thank you. Lord, I thank you for delivering me personally uh, from the bondage of legalism and, and the law and things and stuff. Lord, just trying to do enough to win your favor, to win your pleasure. God, you said yes and you meant it when you gave us faith resulting in grace you received us into your family and you love us for no other reason 
And so, God, we pray that your word would be loud and clear in our lives. And I pray for those that need an extra dose that you'd give it to them. And for those that need this softened by your marvelous grace, that it would be soft and loving and kind. And so, Lord, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, Galatians 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. And he literally uses a word that says bonehead dummy not so bright ones oh foolish Galatians what are you guys thinking who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified this only I want to learn from you Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so dense? Your Bible probably says foolish. Are you so stubborn? Might be another word you could put in there. Are you so daft? Are you so dull of hearing? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Are you actually getting your approval from God because of what you do? Because of the external things? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? In other words, are you actually a child of God? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The Apostle Paul now begins to present a rock-solid case of logic. He says, if you were saved by grace and through faith in the first place, if what we presented to you is nothing else, but the crucified Christ for the remission of your sin, if you came into a relationship with God by believing on the only begotten Son of God, why are you turning this into something that is works? And as humankind, we gravitate towards religion. There is zero question about that. It's fairly easy to prove, but it's especially visible in Europe. When you travel to Europe, one of the things that boggles your mind is the beauty of the various cathedrals that are virtually everywhere. Monumental edifices to religion. They are almost always empty except for those tourists that are wandering through going, wow, this is beautiful. They look like a place that you should be able to find God. But in the end, they're most often used for concerts. Maybe religious ones, sometimes not even religious concerts. Sometimes there's church held in them. But very rarely do you see a vibrant church life. It simply has become a place where people gather. Sometimes our lives end up in exactly the same place. 
Because we begin in the spirit, and then what happens to our relationship is it becomes a place. It's somewhere we go to. For some of you, that's here. You meet with God when you come here. You have a religious experience when you come here. You hear from the Lord when you come here from the pulpit. Your relationship with the Lord is one of religious endeavor. You're simply trying to do certain things so that in the doing of those things, you can feel like you have a relationship with the Lord. And Paul is actually saying to us, the whole of our relationship with God is entirely a work of the Spirit. It is not works of the law. It was never about keeping the law. It wasn't about the Ten Commandments. It was not about the Levitical law. It was not about the feast days. None of those things ever could actually bring you into the presence of a holy God. They simply pointed the way. And so for a lot of people, they've turned their relationship into something that's more than simple faith. Let me give you an example of that. Did you know that there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible? There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. Matter of fact, most of the time when people get saved, they simply said, I believe. There was not a big long list of things. Yes, they understood the gospel, and yes, that gospel was presented with clarity, but there wasn't a methodology. And so what's happened in church is, well, if they don't come down the middle aisle to the front, if they don't come to the altar, then maybe they're not saved. Or if you happen to have something that looks like Simba, but is actually the lion of the tribe of Judah, or if you have something on the stage that looks like a Zulu shield, but it actually represents the shield of faith, or if you're having fabric draped over the stage so it attracts kids, then (gasps) all of a sudden it becomes about the way the church looks instead of what the church is preaching. It becomes about something other than the spirit. It's about the external dynamics of what church looks like rather than the substance of what church is supposed to be, which is a work of the spirit. Paul addresses that here. And he speaks into our lives because I believe that there are reasons that we abandon simple faith. And let me give you a few that I just thought of as I was thinking through this passage. Some people, in a hope to frame their relationship with the the Lord, come up with some very, very, very godly things. Now, no one should ever complain about someone praying or reading their Bible or memorizing Scripture. That absolutely is not what we're talking about. But I can tell you that there are people who believe that you need to make sure you have exactly the King James Bible or you're not going to heaven. Because they've sent me some notes. And I usually begin my rebuttal to them by saying something like, so do you speak King James English at home? Blessings be upon thee, brother. And the reason I do that is to draw simple attention to, no, in our culture we actually speak in a little more modern English. 
And so just because these and thou sound holy does not one make holy. Amen? So I could speak in these and thous and therefores and thou arts. And trust me, I have to fight sometimes because I learned so many memory verses as a child in King James. My brain is conflicted sometimes. But because you use the King James Bible does not mean that you're more holy than someone who uses the New Living Translation. Because the fact of the matter is, those that have translated almost every modern translation into English have done so using the manuscript evidence that was provided by those who interpreted the King James Bible in 1611. They've just sought to bring it into a place to where it's more readily available to our minds in modern English. Can I tell you that we also have those people who believe that if you don't have a television, you are more holy. Now, I am not telling you that if you have a television, that's necessarily a good thing, but I'm telling you that if you do not have one, does not make you better than somebody who does. Can I tell you that if you homeschool your children, your children are not necessarily going to come out more holy than those who go to public school. Why am I saying this? Because we start to focus on the externals and we forget that it is a work of the Spirit. If your children are not taught to have their own relationship with the Lord and their own spiritual walk with the Lord and their own dynamic of spirituality, it does not matter how long you keep them at home. As soon as they hit the world, they're going to walk away. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by faith resulting in grace that brings you into a right relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is not external things. And so all of our systems of legalism and works-based righteousness and do's and don'ts or even formalism. Some churches worship in a formal way. There's nothing wrong with that. But the church that worships in a formal way is no more in tune with the Spirit than one that works, worships in a less formal way. A pipe organ is not more holy than an electric guitar. Do you understand what I'm saying? But we have people that run around, oh, you have electric guitars. You have a bass. Did you know that Paul McCartney plays the bass and he's going to hell? I actually had somebody tell me that one time. Like the Beatles. Look, if the Beatles are responsible for your spirituality, you're doomed. Okay? Just give up now. I think the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is a little more powerful than a bass guitar. But we start getting into these formal, ritualistic things to where it has to look a certain way or feel a certain way or or be the right particular colors or not the right colors. And before you know it, we have started to equate spirituality with physical settings. What about the person who tries to unlock the so-called spiritual secrets? Well, you know, we have holy laughter in our church. Well, we have holy donuts in ours. (laughs) You you can start going down all kinds of crazy things. 
I've had people tell me, well, you guys have coffee. You know that's caffeine. I go, yeah, that's why we drink it. And before you know it's about, do you have coffee or not have coffee? Well, if you've got coffee in your church, well, you know, the Holy Spirit can... I actually had somebody tell me that. If you really had the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need coffee. No, it's the fact that I have children. They keep me up late at night. <laughs> Intellectualism can fall in the same category. Pretty soon you're too smart to believe by faith. Look, some of the most bright, intelligent people I have ever met, have ever met, still have an absolutely vibrant relationship by faith with the Lord Jesus. In October, we're going to have six of them here for our next apologetics conference. Preeminent people with PhDs, multiples of them, that love the Lord Jesus. It's not about whether you're intelligent or not intelligent. It is not about whether you can read Near Eastern languages or not. It is do you and have you believed in the only begotten Son of God? And that happens by faith. And then ultimately, we we can all fall into this thing of what is best described as denominationalism. In other words, the way we do church is the only way church should be done. Look, we have to stop thinking this way. Because there are people who love the Lord to do church differently than we do. Praise God for them. They love pipe organs. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The pipe organ people will be welcome there. It's fine. But it should not result in something that changes the main thing, which is orthodoxy and orthopraxy. In other words, I want to absolutely have correct theology. And I want to absolutely walk in the Spirit, which is putting those things to work. But you can do that in a lot of different ways. Look, the reason this looks like this is because seated out here were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children are actually going to look at stuff like this and go, wow, you know, that's awesome. I wonder if they actually know God. And then when we start to throw the manna from heaven from the stage, they're going, oh, I get it. Manna came down from heaven. Now, we're not throwing the communion elements to you. Just get over it. (laughs) But for kids, it worked perfectly. Paul said it this way. To the Greeks, I became Greek. To the Romans, Romans. To the Jews, Jews. And he did all of that so that he might win some. So church can look differently. It's not about what the church looks like. It's about is the church walking in the spirit and is the church preaching the real gospel? And that's it. If every church looked the same, it'd be kind of boring, wouldn't it? Ultimately, it'd just be about one or two people having gigantic, massive churches because there's obviously giftings that exist in one person that don't exist in another. Praise God for the little churches. We happen to be a big church, but praise God for the little church where there are 50 people who love the Lord and are crying out to heaven every single day. Praise God for those churches. doesn't mean that they're less spiritual because there's fewer people. It means that God's called them to minister to fewer people. That's it. Be careful. 
because you can start to fall away from the grace of God. You can run away from faith towards things that cannot sustain anyone in their walk with the Lord. And so Paul gives us three basic arguments here from his own personal experience. And he says, look, have you suffered all these things in vain? Did you come to Christ by some other means other than faith? And the answer is no. I said yes to the offer of God's grace by faith. That's how I came to faith in Christ. Everyone does. And so I don't want to make it about something else. My subjective experience must be balanced with my objective evidence. And I can tell you that my subjective experience of faith, because faith is subjective, it comes into my life, it's tangible in the sense that I get to see the way it works out in my life, that's the evidence. That's why Paul, if he was the author of the book of Hebrews, which I personally believe he was, if he authored the book of Hebrews when he said, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things yet not seen, that's what he was getting at. In other words, I have a subjective reality, which I know God exists, and an objective way that that plays out in my life. I've seen what he's done in my own life. So when we look at our our experience, we all have some personal experience with the Lord. You can look at your own life and see those things. But I can tell you, your personal experience is not my personal experience. And yours and mine together may not equal another group of people. So we have to be careful about basing our experience or basing our church on the fact that we all need to experience God this particular way. What we all need is faith resulting in grace, resulting in forgiveness of sin, so that we might be justified before a holy God, and thereby one day we're going to heaven. Amen? That's the needed thing. Let's not make it about the not needed things. Just because somebody doesn't worship the way we worship doesn't mean they're godless. It means that they worship differently. And so Paul basically says, look, I'm telling you, my personal experience is you just need a good old-fashioned rebuke here. It's like, stop it. Stop turning faith into works. Quit making it about what you do because it's never going to be about what you do. You can do things for God and still not know God. Did you know that? You can do a ton of things for God and still not know him personally. You can go out with all kinds of zeal and fervor and do all kinds of things, work for the Lord, and never know him. And the way that you know is it never touches you. You walk away unchanged. There's no conviction of sin in your own life. There's no understanding of the work of the Spirit in your own life. You simply do certain things to be pleasing to the Lord. As I shared on Thursday night as we're in 2 Corinthians, I I talked about the Scala Sancta, which is the the holy stairs. Supposed to be the stairs that Jesus ascended when he went up to the praetorium before Pilate. They're there in Rome. And they have become so worn from Uh, about 1,500 years of people crawling up them on their knees. 
and stopping at the spots that supposedly there's blood that came from Jesus on the stairs. There's little crosses that have been etched into them. People wait for days when the stairs are open to crawl up those stairs on their knees, hoping that when they get to the top of the stairs, they're going to be a little closer to God, maybe spend a little less time in purgatory. Jesus already climbed the stairs for you. It's done. It's done. He went to the cross. He said, it is finished, not you climb it yourself. Amen? And I don't say that to mock. That's a truth. He didn't say, well, I almost finished it. Now you finish it off. He said to Telestai, it's finished. So don't try and add works to it. And Paul says, look, you can see these things in the experience that we have of the Trinity in, in this whole plan of salvation. Look, it's about the Son of God, amen? Our relationship, why are we called Christians? Why are we called Christians? What does it mean? It means little Christs. It means little tiny images of the true and the living king, amen? And, and so it's about Jesus. It's not about church. It's not about denominationalism. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about whether the lights are white or some other color. It's not about any of those things. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified, period. Period. Now, all the rest of the stuff, the sanctification part, where we become more like the Lord, that is subsequent to our salvation experience where we come to know him in the first place. And so we're in various states of growth. Don't confuse states of growth with whether someone is actually saved or not. Because you start to turn into that person that's judgmental. And you begin to look at it and go, well, you know, they're still doing that or they're still doing this. Look, you were not saved because you don't do this or don't do that. You're saved because you believed in the only begotten son. That's it. And so we start to put external qualifications on whether someone is saved or not saved. Now, it may be true you're looking at the fruit of their life and there's very, reason, very little reason to believe because the fruit doesn't testify of a redeemed life, but it is not our job to judge other people's salvation. They're going to stand before a holy God one day and that's the only place that that's going to happen. And he says, so look, it's about the Son. They also received the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, there are so many things that the Spirit alone is responsible for. And when I say that, the Holy Spirit does things that we attribute sometimes to external works. Look, I don't care how long you beat on somebody, your beating on them is not going to cause the conviction of sin like the Holy Spirit can convict of sin, amen? And so when you've shared something that's going on in somebody's life, leave it to the Holy Spirit to finish the work. Just share with them. Say, look, you know, I know what the Bible says, and I just fear for you, and so I'm going to be praying for you, and here it is. But man, if you've got to write emails and send letters and do all those kind of things just over and over and over again, you're trying to play Holy Spirit. 
If you would simply pray more and talk less, you're going to have a better result. The Holy Spirit convicts. Both of sin and righteousness, by the way, both the wrong way and the right way. But we can resist that or we can yield to it and start to walk in it. When you start to walk in it, guess what happens? A Christian actually starts to look like Jesus and talk like Jesus and walk like Jesus and do things like Jesus would do. That's how you know you're going the right direction because your life starts to look like Jesus. That's a work of the Spirit. When we believe we're born of the Spirit, there's a new life that happens. Praise God for that new life, amen? When Christ comes into your life, behold, all things are becoming new and the old man is passing away, amen? But it doesn't mean there isn't a conflict. Anybody had a battle with your old man? Not your husband, just the old you. Right? You know what I'm saying? You wake up and you, you're, man, you are Paul in Romans 7. Those things which I will to do, I don't do. And those things which I will not to do, I'm all over that. So that I find that there's this thing, Paul said, in me, this battle. Look, there's an old you that's still alive. The good news is the new you is more powerful than the old you. So feed the new you. That happens by the Spirit. Spirit in you, baptizing you, giving you power over those things. You're also sealed. You know that you know that you knew, know that you're a child of God. And as you start to do these things, you start to walk in them. You start to read the word. You start to pray. Those are things that the Spirit encourages you to do. The Spirit is not going to encourage you to, you know, to watch more R-rated movies. The Spirit's not going to encourage you to go back to those parties that you were already delivered from. The Spirit is going to encourage you to walk in holiness and walk away from those things. But we need the Spirit to do that in our lives. I, as a pastor, have an obligation to say, look, I I think these are some things you ought to seriously consider. But at the end of the day, the Spirit of God's got to work in you the same way it works in me. That's his job. That's what he's doing in me and in you. And if we persist, eventually we might even quench the Spirit. But ultimately, we want to be filled with the Spirit, and we'll see that in the latter two chapters of this amazing book. This experience of just drinking living water day in and day out, you know, eventually you actually get to know what's bitter and what's sweet, amen? Man, in my own life, I can tell instantaneously when I'm going the wrong direction. It is like that. It's like, Jeff, that's the flesh. All right. You know what I'm saying? Those of you who walk with the Lord, say amen. Amen. You know what's going on because the Holy Spirit's going, now you don't want to do that. Now you might have your excuses. You might say a few things that kind of grumble underneath. You're like the children of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness of sin for 40 years. You're going, I want leeks and onions. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, you don't. You may want to go back to Egypt because you think it's safer. You knew everybody in Egypt. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, you don't want to go back there. You see, that's a work of the Spirit. And ultimately what happens is Father God comes along and says, look, I bear witness to this whole thing. It isn't what you do for me, it's what my son did for you. 
It isn't you empowering yourself, it's the Holy Spirit empowering you. That was the plan that he came up with. It is he that works miracles in our lives. It's not the church that does that. It's God working in you to will and to do that which is his good pleasure. And he does that by the Spirit. And so the Spirit working in you can do things that you can't do for yourself. And if you tried, you'd mess it up. And so would I. Anybody ever gotten in trouble by trying to help God? I have. I have. I'll just help you out, God, because you're a little slow here. Before you know it, I'm going down some road, and I've I got to take like a four-year journey back. You, some of you know exactly what I'm saying. God's with us, and if he is with us, who can be against us? No one, amen? So he's the one that's doing that miraculous work in our lives. And so it is he that works the miracles among you. And in this room, it's just a bunch of miracles. That's what we are. I read a little story, and it was a few years ago. It was about a man who had a friend, and these two guys grew up, went, went to high school, college together. They went to the same college, played on the same sports teams, had the same friends, the same party lifestyle, the same pension towards alcohol, and one of them gets saved, and one of them continues in that lifestyle. They met up a number of years later, and as they're sitting there talking, the guy who does not know the Lord says, you're a Christian? You mean you actually believe in miracles? And the guy says, yes, I do believe in miracles. He said, are you trying to tell me that you believe that Jesus took a bunch of pots of water and turned them into wine? He says, absolutely. He says, you're, you're crazy. He says, no, I can tell you because I've experienced the exact same thing in the reverse order. Because in my life, he turned wine into a new house, a new car, clothes for my kids, and a college fund. You see, God is still doing miracles, amen? But he does those miracles by the Spirit in our lives. He doesn't do it by religion. He works on you, and he works on me, and he works on us. He works as the church as a whole, all by his spirit in this world. And as we yield to the spirit, as we stop trying to make it into our way or someone else's way or this way versus that way or that rule versus that rule or this way of doing it versus that way of doing it, we just say, spirit, move among us according to your plan and purpose then we just go do what God calls us to do. And the Spirit is the one that gives the gifts. The Spirit is the one that gives the power. The Spirit is the one that gives the direction. And the Spirit is ultimately the one that will give God the glory for it. Amen? So let's walk in the Spirit. Because when we do that, there's nothing that can stop us. God God could do anything with us as a church. Who, Who knows what the Lord wants to do? But I know this, I don't want to mess up what he's doing. So I'm going to try and stay out of the way. And I'm going to let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do. And it may not look the same as everybody else thinks it should look, but that's okay because the last time I looked, there's about 7 billion of us on this planet, and we don't all look the same. And we don't all think the same. We don't all have the same needs, the same desires, the same wants. We don't even 
want to be like that. It'd be really boring to have seven billion people that were all the same, amen? But we do want to be like the same Jesus. So let's walk in the Spirit, amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. If you need prayer after service, the, the prayer team's available in our prayer room over to my left. Don't let anything fool you. Don't be bewitched. Amen? Just walk with Jesus and seek the work of the Spirit in your life. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for this incredible congregation. Lord, I pray that, Lord, if there's something I said and it, and it, it hurt or it harmed unduly, God, would you put that on my account and heal that? Father, I thank you that you do at times just speak truth into us that needs to be spoken because we are kind of knuckleheads sometimes. Lord, thank you that you love knuckleheads, that you love us when we're, we're a little bit rebellious and stubborn. God, thank you you didn't give up on the children of Israel and you won't give up on us either. And so, Lord, we bless you for the work of the Spirit in our lives and in this church. Pray that we would never be bewitched, Lord, trying to turn the work of the Spirit into some type of law. So bind that legalism and cast it away from us and help us to just simply rest and trust in your everlasting arms because you are good and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.